0: So this morning, uh, Glenn was actually scheduled to to preach this morning, but unfortunately uh, last week his cousin passed away, so he's um, up north for a funeral this weekend, so you guys are kind of stuck with me this morning. Um, And this morning we're going to continue in the book of James, and you know, I remember when I was in high school, I wasn't the greatest student, so I remember sitting in class, I was in geometry for like the third time because I didn't, you know, pass it the first three times. Um, And I remember um, the the TA in the class, I had a crush on her, her name was Danielle, and she's nowhere near as beautiful as my wife is, I'm just letting you guys know that. But (laughs) so anyway, I I remember I had a crush on her and she was actually really smart. She was, um, you know, AP everything and she was only in that class because she was a TA. And I remember we were having a conversation one time and she said, you know, guys for some reason always have really nice elbows. And I thought, okay, so that really stuck with me. And then she said, well, let me see your elbows. And so without thinking, I showed her my elbows and she said, well, you know, normally guys have really nice elbows. (laughs) And what's weird is every day after that, I put lotion on my elbows every day. Her words changed my life for the rest of my life. And now I kind of regret because you know we were moving stuff yesterday and I noticed this morning my elbows are all black and ugly looking and I was way too lazy to clean them and now I know all you guys are going to do is stare at my elbows all day. But, but the point is, is that, that, that those few words made a pattern that has lasted with me for the rest of my life or up to my life at this point and I don't see myself stopping at any time. You know, Rudyard Kipling who was the author of the Jungle Book, said this. He said, words are, of course, the most powerful drug used by mankind. Most powerful drug. Interesting that he would take words and equate them to a drug. You know, I think we all know this saying, right? I think you guys can finish it for me. If I say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. But let me ask you, is that a true statement? Absolutely not. We just say it to make ourselves feel better, to put up a wall when people hurt us. But the truth is, sticks and stones may break our bones, but words can do some of the most devastating, irreparable damage in our lives. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. This morning, if you have your U Version Bible app open, today's message is called Tongues of Fire, and you'll be able to follow along there with your U Version Bible app to keep up. We're going to be in, in uh, James chapter 3 this morning. For some reason, I kept saying Paul in the first service. So if I ever say Paul, I mean James. But here's the thing. Before we start talking about words too much this morning, we're going to jump into one of the scariest verses in the Bible. For me. Some of you may not be scared of this at all. It might be really easy for you to hear this. But for me, and I know some of you in this room, this should be the scariest verse you might ever read. That's why Glenn is asking me to read it this morning. Okay, let's take a look at James 3.1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That is pretty scary if you are a Bible teacher, right? To hear, wait a minute, wait, we shouldn't be teachers, too many of us, because we're going to be judged more strictly? That is pretty scary. Now, from day one, since I've been coming to this church, from day one, Glenn has protected, I want to say this pulpit, but this stage, Glenn has protected this From the moment I met him. And and it's really important because, you know, we get phone calls all the time. Honestly, people saying, hey, you know, God called me to teach. Can I come to your church and give this message? And Glenn is like, no, absolutely not. Because he knows the importance of teaching at this church. He protects it. How irresponsible would it be for someone to call him and say, oh, I feel like I have a word from God and I'm going to come give it to your congregation. He says, come on up. And then it just turns into a circus up here. You know what I mean? The, 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 the pulpit, the, 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 the station that we preach from to teach the Bible is one of the most important things in church. Not because of the man delivering the message, but because of the message that's being given. Because the Word of God is what instructs us and steers us in our lives. And we have a responsibility as a church to protect that. Let's look at Luke 17 verse 1. It says Jesus said to his disciples things that cause people to stumble are bound to come but woe to anyone through whom they come it would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble so watch yourselves think about what he's saying he's he's saying that that if you are teaching it's one or excuse me it's one thing to be a sinner it's one we you know we're all sinners there's no doubt about that right nobody's going to argue with me and say well pastor Dan I'm not a sinner Right? I think we can all admit we're sinners. And if you're a teacher, you know I'm not the only Bible teacher in this room. A lot of us teach the Bible and stand up in front and teach people things. If you are that, you are still a sinner. You are not going to find a single teacher that will stand in front of you, teach the Bible, and not be a sinner. But here's the thing. It's one thing to sin, but it's quite another to cause someone else to sin. So as a teacher, if you stand up here there's a reason you're teaching when you teach the intent is that whatever the words are are going to change the actions of the listener if you don't come to church to hear what the Word of God has to say and expect it to change your life you're wasting an hour and a half of your life or however long church service is. right you're here because you're expecting the Word of God to steer you into a certain direction so if we are the people standing up here and we're teaching and we're gonna do something wrong and we're gonna lead other people into this pattern of sin We're going to be judged more strictly. So teachers must teach the Word of God and they must not change it. That's the only way to do it safely. If I stand up here and start injecting myself, I'm opening up myself for stricter judgment. And it's really, really tempting sometimes to stand up here and just want to give my own opinions. To teach what I think or what I want or what I desire. It's really tempting. I would love to stand up here this morning and say, we all get to go to heaven no matter what. I would love to teach that there's a problem that's not what the bible says so i can't teach that because what i think or what i desire doesn't matter see here's the thing when when jesus was talking to peter and he was explaining i'm going to have to die peter i am going to be killed peter's response was never lord i will not let that happen he wanted to stand up and he's going to fight tooth and nail to protect his lord Peter didn't understand what he was saying. He thought what he was saying is something good, right? We would probably say that to Jesus if he was sitting here and he said, hey, we're gonna, I'm going to be crucified. You're like, no, never. I will not stand by and let you be crucified. And here's how Jesus responded. Let's look in, in Matthew. <clears throat> Matthew 16, 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns that's a pretty harsh thing to say. Get behind me, Satan. That's Peter. <laughs> Wrong guy. You know, I would, Peter must have been shocked at that moment. I would love to see the look on Peter's face when he says, I will never let them kill you, Jesus. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Whoa, <laughs> where did that come from? Because in Peter's own mind, he was doing a good thing. Right now, I'm gonna stand by him. I'm gonna protect him. But here's the problem. Peter isn't God. That's Jesus' criticism. You're just worried about human stuff. See, in my mind, everybody going to heaven is a good thing. But Dan isn't God either. All I have in mind are those human concerns also. So here's the thing. As a teacher, you have to leave the truth to God and what he says. So as I stand up here this morning, my only job is to tell you what the Word of God says and to try to keep myself out of it. And so if you want to teach or if you are a teacher, you have to understand what you're asking for. A lot of people say, you know, I think I want to go up there and teach. Are you sure about that? It's a pretty big responsibility because teaching can be risky business. See, now now James is going to transition into this idea of words because really that's what teaching is, right? We use our words to teach. So the question is, what kind of words do we have? Because words are very, very powerful weapons. Let's look at John 1.14 for a second. John says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is this word that he's talking about? Jesus, it's Christ. Now, it's interesting. Why is he calling Jesus the word? That's a strange thing to call somebody, right? The word. See, here's the thing. Jesus was the part of God that created everything. Okay, that's first, uh, John 1 says that. And he was also the part of God that was sent for our redemption, to pay the price for us. So this is God's, basically, he says the word was with God and the word was God, right? So in a sense, we are our words, right? Just as Christ is God and he is the word, our words are us. It's a reflection of us. It's the tool that we use. When God wanted to get something created, he used Jesus, When he wanted to get people saved, he used Jesus. If we want to make something happen, we use our words as well. Does that make sense? So our words are a reflection of us that we use to accomplish our will. So with that in mind, let's look at James 3.2. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. See, James is saying, look, we all stumble. Okay, we're all sinners, we all fall short. None of us is perfect. So here's the thing, your words will come out messed up from one time or another, right? We are going to say something stupid. Basically what he's saying is, if you can control that thing in your mouth, if you can control your words, you can control anything. Because here's the thing, how many of us in this room have never said something stupid? (laughs) See a couple of hands going up, and the wife is looking at him going, are you kidding me? So I need a volunteer this morning. I want to show you guys something. Who wants to come up here and be a a volunteer for me? Oh, you guys are chicken. Come on, Mom. (laughs) Jeez. We're going to make this the Johnston show this morning. Okay, Mom. Here's what you're going to do. And if you guys know what I'm doing, don't blurt it out because you ruin everything. Okay. So I need you to take this tube of toothpaste. Oh, let me open it up for you. I need you to take this tube of toothpaste. All right. And what I want you to do is I want you to squirt it out onto the plate here. Just the right amount. For what? The right amount. Just the right amount. However much you think is the right amount. And don't be like Leo and don't do anything. (laughs) (laughs) Is that it? That's the right amount? What do you guys think? Is that the right amount? More? Okay. All right, now here's the problem here. Is that enough? Is that the right amount? Is this good? Yeah. Yes, okay. Okay, that's the right amount, but here's the problem. See, this morning on the way here, I went to go buy toothpaste, and on the way down, my dad and I tried to go to Walgreens, which was closed, and there was a Sprouts right next to it. And we thought, well, let's go on Sprouts and buy toothpaste. Well, toothpaste at Sprouts is 449 <laughs> per for two. Now I understand why I don't shop at Sprouts. <laughs> So here's the thing, Mom. Because it's so expensive, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to put that back in the tube for me. And you only get the same amount of time it took you to get it out. This is going to be a while. <laughs> if I don't, this stuff is not like <laughs> this isn't regular. It's stuff. organic toothpaste. Look at this. It's all, look. <laughs> 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 all right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and stop the clock because you're grossing me out with this stuff. (laughs) It's pretty darn gross. Okay, go wash your hands. Thank you, Mom. (laughs) Well, wait, before you get out the door, I have a question. Was it easier to get the toothpaste out or to put it back in? It was easier to get it out. It was easier to get it out. Well, guess what? It's the exact same thing with your works. Sometimes you think... Well, how, what's the right thing to say? What am I going to say? And you start just letting your words go, letting them come out. You know, gossip, lies, whatever is going to come spewing out of your mouth. And then when you're done, you go, oh, my gosh, that's going to cost me something, like $4.49 for a tube of toothpaste. This is going to cost, this is not the right thing to come out. But guess what? It's really hard to put your words back in, isn't it? It's really hard to take back what you've already put out and to try to take it back. No, I didn't mean to say that. It was an accident. Okay, so our words are just like toothpaste. So here's the thing, if, if once your words are out, they're out, so you want to make sure that the right ones are the ones that are coming out the first time, because you only get one chance, right? So let's look at James 3.3 3 for a second. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. I remember when I was a kid, I was, I don't know, Kev, my brother Kevin, who was leading worship, is probably, I don't know, maybe six years old, and we had this beautiful little black lab. Her name was Holly. And she was our, you know, like the greatest pet ever. You know, our dog Betty now is kind of in, in competition. But Holly is, is, well, not to you, but, but Holly is, was this beautiful black lab. Not a, big, not a big black lab, but she was probably a mix, I mean, that big. And Kevin, six, seven years old, decides, you know, I'm going to take Holly for a walk. And he puts her, her leash on her and he goes outside and they start to walk. And, and Holly was very mild-mannered, but the second she looked over and saw a cat, she bolted. And it was as if Kevin was like just a plastic bag strapped to her back. And Kevin's just, you know, going through down and dragging her across the grass and onto the sidewalk. And he gets up and he's covered in dog poop and (laughs) in grass and and just his arms are cut and he's crying. Uh, Here's the thing. That was a little tiny dog. (laughs) Let's think about the power of a horse for a second. Okay. Horses are... How much more powerful is a horse compared to a dog, right? Think about Clydesdale. When we buy a vehicle, we want to know how powerful it is. What do we compare it to? Horsepower. Horses are powerful animals, right? And what he's saying here is if you have this giant, powerful horse that, that is capable of, of using its strength to accomplish things, if you want to control it, all you've got to do is stick a little bit in its mouth. That's it. You can control this massive, powerful animal by sticking a little, tiny, little bit in its mouth it's amazing isn't it and then he goes on and he's going to talk about a ship the same way let's look at uh... james three four or take ships as an example although they are so large and are driven by strong winds they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go likewise the tongue is a small part of the body but it makes great boasts you know most of you guys know um, that my wife and i are going to be moving to we took a job in north carolina so part of the transition of leaving is we had to sell our house. Well we sold our house this last weekend and um, we were packing up and so now I'm regressing in my life and I'm living with my parents again. So, but my parents live in Fontana so we moved to Fontana and I did not sleep last night even for 30 seconds because it is so stinking windy in Fontana that every time the wind goes in front of the window it sounds like some demonic ghost is screaming at me through the you can't sleep like that that's crazy so it's so it's 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 super windy in Fontana if you've never gone don't go so <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> the thing is is that my mom you know she's our church secretary so the other day when it was really windy she made the commute from Fontana to here in Rancho Cucamonga during her commute one commute one way, she saw this. Five different overturned trucks on one commute. Why are those trucks overturned? Because of the winds. Wind is, is powerful. Wind is extremely powerful powerful think about that five big rigs are you couldn't get all of us together and push over a big rig but the winds can tip that thing over as it's driving winds are strong and that's all that they used to use to move these giant boats back when james is writing this we have these boats and they're moved by winds they're huge and they're giant but if you want to steer where it's going to go you stick a little piece of wood in the water and turn it just a little piece of wood is going to steer where that giant ship goes We still do that today, don't we? With huge battleships, aircraft carriers, cruise ships, whatever, still steered by a rudder or two. It's a little tiny little something that will steer you. Your tongue is the exact same, excuse me, the exact same way. It's a small part of your body, but it can do so much damage. Now here's the thing. Let's look at um, uh, James 3, the second half of 5 here. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, interesting that we've had so many winds and forest fires lately, and this is exactly what we're going through. So I don't want to tell anybody because everybody's going to blame our church for everything that's going on right now. But the thing is that they're talking about this idea of fire that's that started from a little thing. You know, your words can do so much damage starting from one little tiny word out of your mouth. You know, California, right now, what we're known for is wildfires. As when we were visiting North Carolina a couple weeks ago, everybody was like, wow, what's it like having wildfires every day? You know, they think that we have like, basically it's like tor- uh, tornadoes in Kansas or something. They're just like, wow, wild- wildfires in California all the time. And, and we were talking, and do you guys remember the Blue Cut Fire? Uh, I think it was last year, maybe the year before. The Blue Cut Fire was the one that was on the 15 in the Cajon and ended up burning down the Summit Inn. The Summit Inn was really famous because Elvis went in there one time and looked at the jukebox and there were no Elvis songs, so we kicked it and walked out and didn't buy anything. So anyway, that place burned down. But I had some friends that were on the freeway that day and they said they were driving and all of a sudden the fire was just on the freeway. So everybody just stopped, they got out of their cars and just started walking back the other direction because there was nothing else to do. And their car burned up and there were, there were several cars on the freeway just burning because there was nothing else to do. Because this fire just decided it was going to come through and just start taking out people's cars. That fire burned 37,000 acres. 213 buildings, including 105 homes, were destroyed. They, they evacuated 82,000 people. You know, yesterday I was watching the news and they added a seventh fire. There were seven fires burning yesterday. The Thomas Fire, it was just one fire, the Thomas Fire burned 200 square miles. Think about how big 200 square miles is for a second. 400 structures are destroyed and 200,000 people evacuated. You know, in California last year, 514,067 acres were burned. And a few months ago, there was a, a fire in Santa Rosa that killed 41 people. And the fire destroyed 3,000 homes. You know how it started? One homeless guy with a lighter. One homeless guy with a lighter killed 41 people in 3,000 homes with a flame that big. It's incredible to think about what kind of damage can be done by something this big, right? Which isn't a whole lot, which is actually smaller than this vessel in your mouth, your tongue, which you use to speak and to spew whatever you feel like spewing. Your mouth can do just as much damage just as quickly. Let me show you what I mean. Gossip. I hate gossip. Now I take part in it from time to time, I'm not going to lie. Gossip feels good. It feels good to talk about what everybody else is going through, right? Think about how bad they are, how good you are. But it's a terrible thing, especially in the church. Creates division. Let's look at Proverbs 16, 28 says, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. The closest friends can be separated by the ugliness of gossip. You know, there's a book called The Kid's Secret Book of Social Rules. And in that book, it tells a story. I always want to say Socrates. Do um, You guys ever see Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and they call him Socrates, Socrates, whatever. So <laughs> anyway, Socrates was visited by a friend and the friend said, hey, Socrates. And you know, I'm paraphrasing here. But Socrates, I got this great juicy story I want to tell you. And Socrates says, wait, hold on a second. I'm going to put it through the triple filter test before I let you finish. He says, okay, what's a triple filter test? Socrates says, well, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. The first one is, whatever you're about to say, have you made absolutely 100% sure that it's true? Well, no, I just heard it yesterday and I just want. okay, fine, fine. Okay, so that one didn't pass. But I have another question then. Is it good or is it kind Not especially. (laughs) I wouldn't say it's good or kind, but I still really, I just really wanted to tell you the story. Well, wait, I have one more question for you. Is it useful or is it necessary for me as I make my decisions? No, not at all. I just really just wanted to tell you the story. And Socrates says, if what you want to say is neither true, nor good or kind, nor useful or necessary, then please don't say anything at all. Triple filter test. It's a great thing. If we would all use the triple filter test, we'd be so much better off because because gossip is extremely damaging from you, and if you don't put a stop to it from the outside, you allow it. It's like going and seeing that guy start the fire that's going to kill 41 people and just saying, oh, cool, and walking away. We have an obligation to speak good things and to stop others from speaking bad things or to not listen. Here's another one, joking you thinking joking is bad, Pastor Dan? Let me show you what I mean. Let's look at Proverbs 26, 18. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. Do you guys ever say that? I was only joking. I say it all the time. I'm always in trouble for saying dumb things and saying, I was just kidding. I didn't mean that. You know, I, I'm constantly, I'll say something and I'll, I'll be laughing. I'll turn, I'll look at Tosh and she'll have that look. I went too far. I went too far. I remember I was in Vegas one time in my early 20s and, and me and my friends were walking around and we're, you know, we're all in our early 20s and we're having a good time and laughing and, and then this old guy, he's just he's like, you know, sweeping up the floor or something and he kind of leans and looks and says, ah, youth. And I turned around and I said, do you miss it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, words are coming out. <laughs> felt a little dumb after i said that one but honestly those words i i just wasn't thinking when i said it i wasn't trying to be mean but the truth is is that that probably hurt that guy's feelings right <laughs> it's not a good thing to say to somebody and, and the thing is is that because i was just careless with my words it's like playing with fire and gasoline in the middle of a, of a dried forest right I, I don't know what kind of damage my words did to that guy but i, I treated him just flippantly and just let him go You know, there's a book called The Screwtape Letters written by C.S. Lewis, and it's kind of the, the story of an uncle demon who's teaching this novice demon how to mess with human beings and to make them sin. And one of the things he says is he talks about, oh, you just have to cover it up with a sense of humor. You can say the cruelest thing you want, but if you make it funny, it's acceptable. And that's how sin enters your life. As long as you can be funny about it, you can say, look at how raunchy comedians are nowadays. The things they say are just insane. But if they make you laugh, it's all right, isn't it? So humor can be very, very dangerous because humor will cover up a multitude of sins, but the sins will still be there. Here's another one. Lying. Let's look at Proverbs 12.22. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. I remember when when we were kids, and I don't know, my brother's probably nine, I spent a whole week convincing him that he was adopted. Which wasn't true, that I know of, but... But the thing is, I spent a whole week convincing him he was adopted. Who knows what kind of damage I did? If you've met him, you can see the type of damage I have done to this guy. (laughs) Like this right now. (laughs) There are millions of ways that our words can destroy people. He's laughing, so it's okay. (laughs) There are a million ways for our words to destroy people. See what I was saying before about humor covers up multitude of sins? The reality is that our words are like toothpaste, though. If Kevin was breaking down crying right now, I couldn't take those words back because they're out there. Because once you spew whatever you're going to spew, it's gone. People already know the opinions are formed, right? You can say a million nice things, but the second you criticize someone, that's the one thing that's going to stand out, right? You can't get them to go away. Let's look at James 3.7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We cannot tame our tongues. We can try and try and try. But we will always say things that we shouldn't say. It's just a fact of, it's, it's part of being a human being. They can be awful. But let me ask you something. We, we know that our tongue and our words can do evil things. But what if we decide to use this powerful instrument for good? What if we decide that we're not going to just spew hate and ugliness and lies and gossip and all this stuff? What if we decide that we're going to do something better with it? For example, my love language is words of affirmation. My wife's love language is words of affirmation. Key word, words. We can use, I can use my words to show my wife that I love her. Now, our love languages are different because she wants me to say, "Oh, baby, you're so cute. I love you." And I don't want those kind of words. I want her to be like, "Oh, you're so strong and handsome and They're different, but they're still words, right? It's where I'm convinced that words of affirmation is the most prominent love language. Now, if you go to the website, it says they're all equal, but I think that's because they want to make people with other love languages not feel bad for being weird. But but I think words of affirmation are huge. You know, they did research and they found out that compliments can have a, more, a bigger effect on motivating people than cash. They did a test, they tried to get people and encourage them to learn how to memorize this keystroke pattern on their keyboards, and they had all these people doing the test, and the ones that were simply motivated by people giving them compliments did better than those who were motivated with cash rewards. Can you believe that? Compliments motivate people more than money? Think about the power of your words. Let me ask you this. Is anybody a Seattle Seahawks fan in here? Do two services, no fans. That is awesome. So (laughs) here's my question. Have any of us ever seen the Seattle fans waving the number 12 flag? Why do they wave the number 12 flag? What does the 12 represent? The 12th man. What is the 12th man? Well, there are 11 football players on a field, right? The 12th one is the crowd. The people that are just cheering, they, ha- they are the additional component to the team that has an impact. That's your fans. Back on November 27, 2005, the Seattle Seahawks beat the New York Giants in overtime. Now, at the time, Co- Coach Mike Holmgren dedicated the game ball to the 12th man. This is actually the game ball right there. The reason why is because it was a close game but the crowd was so loud that they had 11 false starts the other team did and three missed field goals think about that they this fan base was able to change the course of a football game with their words because they were in agreement have you ever decided to use your words for good what if we decided that we were going to be the loudest voice in this community, and we were all going to say the same thing to try to mess up whatever the enemy's doing. What if we did that here? Can you imagine the impact we could have on the lives of others if we decided that we're going to use our words for good? Let's look at James 3.9. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's like, likeness. That's kind of sick, actually. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing my brothers and sisters, this should not be. In Wayne's world, uh, Wayne turns to Gar- Garth and says, you kiss your mother with that mouth? He's basically saying the same thing. You praise God with that mouth? With all the words and the garbage that come out of your mouth, you're going to praise God with that exact same part of your body. Really. See, we're supposed to praise God with our words. And honestly, your words are a great th- thing to surrender to God. Think about it. We think about offering, right? What what are you going to offer to God? Well, money, your time, your service. What about your words? What if you say, you know what, God, I'm going to surrender my words and my vocabulary to you because I want what comes out of my mouth to be positive. I want it to be a reflection of the change that you've made in my life. Look at what he goes on here in verse 11. He says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. It can't happen. You can't have fresh water and salt water at the same time. You also can't have praising and cursing at the same time. Your mouth is going to be serving one thing. Because remember, your words reflect who you are, right? That, that your words are going to reveal your character. Here's what Jesus says in uh, Luke 11. Whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Your words work the same way. What are your words doing? Every time you speak, it's a testimony to something. You will either testify for God or you will testify against him. Those are the only two things you can do with your words. You will do one or the other every time something comes out of your mouth. You know, I read that that Mark Twain went to church one time. And Mark Twain sat and listened to the sermon and listened to the preacher speak and When he was done, he walked outside and, you know, the preacher was saying goodbye to everybody as they left. And Mark Twain says, I think I've heard that sermon before in a book. And the preacher says, no, I can guarantee that that's original. I didn't plagiarize anybody. Mark Twain says, no, I'm pretty sure I've heard that before. No, I swear I sat down and I wrote it all myself. I didn't steal anything. Mark Twain says, no, I'm pretty sure that was in a book. Oh, I know what book that was in and the preacher says, "Okay." Mark Twain says, "I'll send you a copy of it." And he left. Well, Mark Twain or uh, the preacher walks outside and there's a book on his on his front porch. You know, and he opens it and he looks inside and inside there's an inscription and it says words, just words. The book was a dictionary. <laughs> he said, "Words, just words. That's all your sermon was. Just a bunch of words." Didn't mean anything. It was just a collection of words in a specific order that didn't really mean anything. Pretty harsh burn on the preacher. Mark Twain kind of sounds like a jerk there. (laughs) But the reality is this, is, is what are your words? Are they just words? Nathaniel Hawthorne, who wrote the Scarlet Letter, wrote this. He said, Words so innocent and powerless as they are as standing in a dictionary how potent for good and evil they become in the hands of one who knows how to combine them. Now, what are you going to do with your words? You have these tools in your mind, in your brain. You, you have your vocabulary. You know how to use words. You know how to speak. So how are you going to put your words together and what message is going to come out when you speak? And that's the question that I want to leave you with this morning. Because we know that we serve God and, and we're going to say things. And you know the, the, the word has made it clear that we're going to stumble. We're not always going to say everything the way we want to. We are going to say stupid things and because it's impossible to tame the tongue. But here's the truth is, is what if you allow God to take control of your vocabulary? What if you decide that you're going to speak for Him, that, that you're going to surrender your words just like you would money or time or anything else? That's my challenge to you this morning is to, to pledge to yourself that, that the words that come out of your mouth are going to be positive and uplifting. And we're going to take communion this morning because when Christ used his words, he decided that he wanted to make sure that we remembered the sacrifice that he was going to make because he was sitting there with his disciples the night that he was betrayed and he realized that he was going to make the biggest sacrifice imaginable. that, That as a deity, he was going to come to earth, that he was going to die, be crucified, and actually die for those that were crucifying him. And what he did was he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which has been broken for you because he knew that he was going to face this extreme pain and he wants to make sure that his disciples would understand that and remember it as frequently as possible and likewise he took the cup and he, and he said this is my blood which was shed for the sins of many because he decided that he was going to be that atonement that he wasn't going to just leave us in our pit of filth and sewage and our words he said I want something better for you and I'm gonna die for that and this morning we're gonna take communion as a family because we need to remember what was done for us, to remind us about why we're changed, and how we're changed, so when we take communion, just come up the center aisle here, and you can, you know, take one, you can take it back to your seat, you can take it right here, you can grab one for someone sitting next to you, however you want to do it, but we're going to do it during a time of worship, so Kev, if you want to come on up, Um, but this is just a time of of reflection, and remembrance of the sacrifice that was made, Um, we don't have a rule that you have to be a member of the church, or anything, just a, a professed believer in Jesus Christ, and Um, we'll be up here with leadership if you have anything you need prayer for maybe maybe you need us to pray because you don't know how to stop your words from coming out of your mouth maybe you're going through something difficult maybe you don't know Christ yet well today's a great time to start so we're going to be up here praying for you Um, and if you want to come up that's great and then uh, we'll take communion together or you can just stay at your seat you can stand and worship God in song but let me pray for communion Lord we thank you this morning for above all else for the gift of your son Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross for us that that you weren't satisfied leaving us here, but you wanted us to be a part of heaven. Father, we thank you for, for loving us when we were unlovable, for dying for us when we were unworthy. And I pray that we would never forget that and as we leave this place, that we would go filled with joy and excitement, knowing that there's a world out there that needs to know you. And right now is a great time because this is the time where we celebrate that birth. that that you came down, you were willing to humble yourself to being this small, helpless baby, but little did we know that we were the ones that were helpless. I pray, God, that we would remember that during this season and today, and that we would just celebrate who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and we praise you. We say all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.